0: In this episode, I am joined by Kevin Smith from Smash Brand. Now, inside, Kevin will share some great product branding tips and ideas to help your business dominate in 2021 and beyond. Let's get started. Hey, hey, welcome to episode number 163 of the Private Labeler Show. I'm your host, Nick Landowski, and I'm making it my mission to help 1,000 people quit their job to start an e-commerce empire using the power of Amazon. Now, thank you so much for joining. No matter where in the world you're tuning in from today, I greatly appreciate each and every one of you. And please make sure to subscribe to the show and also leave a five-star review on iTunes. I would really appreciate that. Now, in today's show, we'll be talking all about product branding, package design, and how to position your brand to stand out from the crowd. Now, I will be joined shortly by Kevin Smith from Smash Brand, where he's gonna drop some really great insight and tips that will help brand owners succeed. Before we dive into the fun today, I wanted to quickly communicate a really important news item that fairly recently came down from Amazon in regards to inventory. Now, as you guys probably have heard by now, Amazon finally removed those ASIN level inventory limits and they switched to sort of an overall storage limit. Now, make sure you guys check your your storage limits. I'm sure most of you have already. Check in your inventory dashboard and see how much space Amazon is giving you. And based on what I'm seeing on my end, Amazon is actually allowing me to send in less inventory than before. In fact, I, I checked this morning And my inventory limits have even decreased a little bit since they initially rolled it out, which is very frustrating to say the least, but it is what it is. You just have to roll with the punches and adapt. So I'm just curious how is this all affecting you? And also, what are your thoughts? Let me know in the Facebook group so we can discuss. And finally, just a quick shameless plug for my friends over at Helium10. If you guys want a 50% discount on the most popular software in the seller community, then just go to privatelabelershow.com forward slash Helium 10. Now, Helium 10 is what I personally use to help run my business. And when you get signed up, you get access to Kevin King's Freedom Ticket Training course, which is a really great training program that will help you succeed on Amazon. Again, that's privatelabelershowcom forward slash helium10. Get your discount today. All right, as mentioned at the top, I'm going to be joined by the one and only Kevin Smith from Smash Brand. And I am super excited to have him on the show today. Kevin works with brands to help them stand out from the crowd and capture more market share. Now, Smash Brand has worked with brands such as Kraft Heinz, Duracell, PayPal and 7-Eleven to help them with things like package design, brand strategy, consumer testing, and more. Now Kevin has also launched and grown several several of his own brands with combined revenues of over 40 million dollars. Now make sure you guys stay until the very end of the show because I'm going to quickly recap some of the key points and takeaways that I had from the conversation. And uh, as always guys, make sure you take notes and then of course take action. So, okay, here is my branding conversation with Kevin Smith from Smash Brand. Hey everybody, please welcome the one and only Kevin Smith from Smash Brand. How is it going today, Kevin? Hey, thanks Nick. Thanks for having me. It's going fantastic. Glad to hear. Hey Kevin, um for the listeners out there, would you mind just kind of giving everybody a little bit of an idea of like who you are, why you're awesome, what you do and, and, and things of that nature. You got it. Um,
1: I'm a longtime entrepreneur um, over the last 20 years, uh, kind of the first nine years of my career. Um, we launched four very successful omni-channel brands, mostly in big retail. And then from there I actually started an agency where we're one of the uh, only agencies, if not the only one in the world that can guarantee market outcomes for our clients and, uh, and still to this day, you know, we still launch our own brands and, and have uh, quite a few of them that are on
0: Amazon today. Awesome. And uh, today, I, what I wanted to do for the listeners, obviously, this, a lot of the sellers and people listening, they launch brands on Amazon in particular, and maybe they go off to brick and mortar after that. And obviously, having you know, their own Shopify sites and, and, and things of that nature. And everything the past few years on Amazon has become very, very brand centric. With uh, brand registry and all the tools that they have added, and you know, I've I've been in this e-commerce game for what six, maybe seven years now, and I've definitely seen the evolution of brands and disruptor brands coming in, and I guess people and entrepreneurs utilizing Amazon's platform to kind of launch their business, if you will. So I kind of want to focus in around that. Obviously, competition today, here we are in 2021, is is fierce, and competition's always fierce. But I really want to give the listeners by the end of this podcast, hopefully, kind of uh, some clear-cut ideas, strategies, tips, or and or whatever to succeed in 2021 and beyond when it comes to positioning their products, their brands, their messaging, so that they can succeed on, on Amazon, obviously have a profitable business. So I kind of wanted to dive into that just from a high level, Kevin, Um, how, how do startups or uh, aspiring brands, like what tips could you give them so that they can be successful when they bring products to market in 2021 and beyond? Like kind of what are you seeing out there? Obviously, as I mentioned, competition is fierce and it, you know it, it's only becoming fiercer. I, I've seen uh, a lot of deep pockets enter the Amazon space and a lot of serious money over the last three, four, five years. And uh, obviously we want people to be successful. So What tips could you give us just kind of out of the gate uh, to allow brands to be, you know, kind of more successful uh, in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, you got it. So I think, you know, uh, every business and there's different
1: paths to success, um, and every business is at a different stage. But as maybe kind of um, a young business that's looking to launch their products and develop their brand and then sell it on Amazon, there's really um, four high-level steps. And 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 I am a very much a believer that if, if you can check all of these boxes, you will put your product on Amazon, and you can't, you you will not uh, miss hitting your first million dollars rather quickly. It's not difficult. Uh, I mean, it's actually really, really simple. Um, but you have to get these four. And so let's talk about, I think let's talk about that. Right. I think if you're, yeah. and if your audience can follow these four things, they can take this and it'll be actionable. They don't need to hire anybody and, uh, and go back and, uh, and, and just do a lot of great things. Now there's, uh, like I said, I think there's different paths to success. This is just the one that we found out. and, and, I'm a big believer and a lot of times as you're creating your brand people think it's an exercise in design and all of these other things and, it, and it's really not there's a science to it and so it's really all going to come down to data and so i think let's talk about those four things and then i can give an example of something that we launched very recently like one of our own brands and, and how it applies to that um and so in the beginning you know as you're as you're deciding what product category that you want to go into um, it's, it's very important um, that you have white space at two levels. Like this is the most important thing when people call and are maybe looking to work with us. Um, maybe some of this is off and they have to go back for it to work my way. And, um, and so you have the brand level white space, and that's going to be kind of that emotive level of the connection, the tribe, the, all the feelings that you want to build in for your brand to this specific audience. And it needs to be distinctive and unique. It has to be 100%. Um, otherwise you're just going to be another one of these commodity things kind of selling on Amazon. And that's even if you're selling batteries, you can still have a very interesting brand that's solving a problem for somebody, um, that's not being addressed today at that kind of emotionally connected level. Um, so you need white space at the brand level, and then you need white space at the product level. And this is kind of your features and benefits and value propositions and differentiators. Again, I've yet to see even a highly commoditized category where you can't come up with something. And um, and so I'll, and I'll give an example of this. Um, uh, we decided uh, we were going to get into uh, MCT oil and that's a very competitive category on Amazon. We were talking with a, a nutrition company who was saying it was impossible. And so we're like, all right, well, let's just do it. Let's put our money where our mouth was and make a MCT product. Uh, and put it out there. And so one of the first things that we do, right, um, creating that the brand um, is, is sort of the easier part, we, we already knew we kind of wanted to, there's maybe a gap as we kind of map that market out, There was a gap in maybe positioning to like female millennials, there's a lot of things that were more masculine out there, um, things that were feminine, but nothing like really kind of going to that Gen Z millennial, what they're looking for in a brand. Um, but the product level MCT oil is just is MCT oil. So you know, what do you do there? And then we have a lot of our own internal tools, and one of those things um, we've built will we'll go out and it grabs you know every possible Amazon review and starts looking for patterns. And what we're actually looking at here is like one star, two star reviews, and even the top brands that were out there. Um, patterns emerged quickly, uh, you know, probably like ten different buckets of things that people weren't happy with, whether it's you know taste or some you know the way that the product's produced or you know some of the features or how how you use it. And um, so we take those back. And and one of the key steps here is um, you want to test all these things with consumers. So, um, you know, we're data first 100% of the time. So we take those kind of features and benefits and that are that are maybe lacking uh, in other in other uh, uh, other competitors, and we start testing them with hundreds of consumers just as you would do do like maybe like an agile software development, right? You're creating a fictitious product and you're testing it for various things like purchase intent. And there's kind of methodologies around this. And eventually we get and we find that, um, you know, it might seem silly, but people really are tired of like pouring the MCT oil into their coffee or their pan and setting the bottle down and it dripping down the side of it. And so nobody had actually addressed the product level differentiation of spill free. And, um, and it might seem super small, but, you know, we went out and just called some olive oil suppliers and said, can we have your spout put it on one of those kind of bottles made the brand and even the Amazon listing, um, really about being spill free MCT oil. And that's the differentiator. And so at the brand white space, we had that. And then at the product level, we have that and we test it to really find out what matters. And this resonated well. And, um, and you know, then, kind of fast forward with those two things, putting that, um, putting that online, the brand, you know, does a million dollars in sales, like very quickly um, over something as simple as is leaning forward into just having um, it being spill free and not worrying about competing against um, it being an MCT oil. So that's kind of the first, that's the first checkbox.
0: Okay. How do you test by the way? Um, What's your methodology? Like you're actually just pulling people in or how, how does that work? If you want to test, let's just say MCT oil, since you brought that up as an example.
1: Yeah. So my, our entire business is around consumer testing, right? So as we develop any brand all the way from um, the positioning of that brand and like the white space opportunity, testing it, naming the brand, testing it, logo brand identity design, testing it to fit the context. As you get into like, the listings or design systems testing it, and so it's all it's all internal systems that we've built. But even somebody that's you know just starting out and and young as like our first company, you can use surveying. Right, it's probably not as precise, and there's very specific things you want to test for. Um, you want to test for you know brand affinity and distinctive assets, and um, it all rolls up into a scoring you want to have called um, purchase intent over the competitive set. But you can even just go out there and use something like SurveyMonkey if you don't, you know, if you can't bring in some like great agency to do all this for you, it's okay. And you just wanna put your ideas in very like rough, minimal viable product form. So like mock up some packaging. You don't have to hire a designer to do that. Just, you know, just mock up some complete BS packaging with kind of your white space on it, articulated on there. And, and start surveying it against the competitors, right? And, and finding out, hey, like which, one, which of these things kind of resonates with you more, which stands out more, um, you know, uh, what's important to you. And you maybe have 10 options that you've created and, and you kind of test against your 10 options one at a time round Robin style against each one of those competitors. And you're going to see some of the ideas that you had are absolutely terrible and not going to matter. And then you're going to see some of them um, actually do have legs and then you want to refine those and keep testing until you have one that's, we look for certain metrics at this point, we want to have like between eight and 12% purchase intent. When we don't have a brand name, a logo, a design system or anything else, all we've got is how we're explaining the product against how the competitors are explaining theirs. And then, and then we know
0: we're going to be successful with that first step. Okay. That's awesome. Um, And what was, uh, I, I guess, going down the line you had to number two, as far as your, your uh, key points, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so this, you could either consider this first, the first one we talked about as, as, as one or two, but you got, so like brand level, you've identified, hey, here's an opportunity at the brand level of who we're going to be that's different than anybody else. And then at the product level, here's something that's going to set us apart that's very important to people that other companies are just glancing over because they don't think it's a big deal. And now you have those two things. Um, now you have to articulate them and that, and this is where I think like 40% of the sale happens. So you could kind of consider that white space, your positioning, right? And so you've created maybe this internal positioning and you know, it's going to work, but now, uh, now you need to turn that external and you need to turn that into kind of your consumer facing positioning statement, your, um, you, how you're going to, um, communicate with your, like your brand voice and tone, which is, you know, that Emotive level of your brand positioning, how you're going to bring those features and benefits forward. And here, maybe you want to engage a copywriter or something. And, um, and they're going to create all those things. But what you want to do here is you want to create a variety, You, you know, what matters now, but you don't know how to say it. And so here, you know, you're going to want, and I call them like buckets of themes but you want to create a variety of ways of saying your positioning in different ways. And then again, we're going to test it. So you're going to take that same terrible mock-up maybe that you had, and you're going to start marking up this actual real consumer facing. And the technical term for this is called white box testing. You know, if you're, if you're Clorox or something, you're doing this exact methodology before you even think about putting a product in market you're going to do it a lot. Um, And so you're taking, you know, maybe just a white box and you're putting these words on it. That would be the exact words that's going to be maybe, you know, in your Amazon listing um, that's explaining it. And you're taking the competitor's products and again, you're testing it. Um, Now you're looking for a different type of scoring, but you're going to see some of the ways that you articulate this positioning is kind of like, uh... Like, you know, it's okay. And then other ways that are, that are really connecting with that, with that brand level emotive response, uh, is going to start really testing well, uh, much better than the competitors for this specific audience that you're trying to like fill this, this kind of niche need for. And, and that's the second thing. So articulating that to where, um, you can take it to a survey and you can test it against competitors and you're hitting like 15 15 to 17% purchase intent over the competitors with no brand yet with just words. And if you can, if you can do this, if they're choosing you 15 to 17% of the time over competitors, you're in really good shape for pretty much the, uh, the last
0: step. Okay. This is, this is awesome stuff. I guess just keep rolling. So, uh, what you got steps three and four, right? Yeah. Well, it's only really
1: one more step actually. So I kind of okay. consider the first two, they're very difficult. They're the hardest one. So like the, the, the brand level white space it's actually not easy. And that's like step one. And then product level white space, that's step two. And then articulating that into the actual words that like those first five bullet points, when you hit Amazon, like what are those and how are you going to use them in your consumer language and you have your brand voice and tone? Like that's number three. That's so important. And now, like when you're testing your listing against your fake listing against their listing, you should be capturing, you know, 15 minimum percent of that purchase intent. And now you're in good shape, but now you have to, now you actually get to the piece where most people, when they Call you and they think, hey, I need a brand. They're just thinking visual, but it's actually um, it's very important. But it's the least important. The the, the the most important is that kind of white space and then articulation of that into words. And now what you want to do is create all your design systems. And so that your brand identity, which is pieces of that, are going to be you know everything from your um, your logo. You might even be at naming at this point, but let's just say you already have a brand name. You're going to be you know logo, colors, typography, and then the design systems that surround that. And, and, and here you can get one of those wrong, right? You can have a bad logo and have a great brand or you can have a, a color, but what you wanna do at this state is still as you're looking at ideas, you and I use the word white space a lot because that's really what it is. As you start to build out maps of all of the competitors and how their products look and how their listings and their images look, you want to have something called distinctive assets. That's actually the technical term for it. So mapping out color space, You want to be differentiated, mapping out how your logo looks against the entire competitive space, differentiated, Um, typography, differentiated. It's just about differentiating every tiny, small element, because as a whole now, your overall positioning, the way you're talking about it and the way that you're looking about it is different. And then, again, you want to come up with a range of possibilities here, and then you want to test again. And so now you already know, you know the messaging that's going to work. So now you're building up like fake, again, fake listings, right? You're just mocking these up with some, you know, kind of imagery, but the words aren't going to change the words you have down, you know, those are working and the entire job is creating context to support those words now. And so uh, what you kind of want to do in this type of testing is um, you're, you're looking for fit. And so you want, you want to find the best design system fit, for everything else that you've done forward, not the coolest or the most standout or anything like that. You want to say when somebody understands that, you know, for instance, on that MCT oil, that you are the, um, the (laughs) spill-free MCT oil, uh, for the millennial female generation, you want to make sure that your design system fits that position. And, and then when you do that, you're going to start seeing in that testing, those numbers go from that maybe 15% to now maybe 20%, 22 to 25% or even higher in some cases, if you're really highly niched in. And so you've got maybe a range of concepts of things that you think, now you probably engage the designer and you're saying, hey, make me some really safe stuff that's over here that I've identified some kind of ideas that are safer over here and give me some things that are really risky designs that are pushing the edge of kind of disruption that nobody is doing over here and you test them and you're looking for those kind of, those aggregate purchase intent numbers. Um, And then when you have that, now you have a brand and when you put that on Amazon uh, and you just do the basics, we don't do any kind of marketing or anything like that with our brands on Amazon. We do none of it. Um, and customers start finding it. Uh, you're going, you're going to, you're going to be a, a five-star, you have a quality product You'll be a five-star brand that does
0: its first million dollars in six months. Get awesome. Yeah, that was, uh, it was a, a lot of information there. And if you guys listen at home, maybe go back and listen to some of that again. Uh, very, very good stuff. And I, I kind of want to, uh, pivot just a little bit and talking about competing against some of the like mega established global brands and, and, uh, kind of just, you know, if you're, if you're like a, a disruptor, you got an idea and you kind of want to take on some of these, I guess you could call them like old stuffy kind of slow moving brands that have been around forever. Um, let's talk about some of these entrepreneurs out there, some aspiring brand, uh, developers, whatever that want to take on the, the kind of the, large global brands, like how do they connect with the hearts and minds of consumers to take on some of the big dogs out there? Like what can they do and how can they compete against some of the big players? Yeah, it's a good
1: question. And so I've always been like a challenger brand myself. I've, even when we had, um, we, we had a lot of um, businesses when we first started out that we like a um, sports nutrition company. And, and that was, you know, like a $10 million brand. But we had I had trouble growing it past that. I'm really bad at scaling and managing people like that's not our strong suit. So we would always we would always sell it. So I was always a cha- challenger brand where we would have to take on, you know, the big guys. And and there's different there's different pathways to success, but ours has always been, and kind of winning those hearts in mind is is what I consider kind of micro niching. And if we use that same example again um, of like spill-free, right? It's I believe, you know, going into Amazon, no matter what the category that you're in, there's these old established kind of legacy, slow-moving brands, like you said. And then how can you get over to consumers? And really all it is, is 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 taking every bit of information that you can find on them and looking for those patterns of where people are a little bit unhappy. And those, those are chinks in the armor where as long as you're a break, like a lot of companies, they're like, Oh, I want to be everything to everybody. And you can be successful that way. Um, But um, I think you can be very successful, very fast. It's when you look for those little chinks that are being underserviced, that might not seem that exciting. And you just develop your entire brand and go all in with it and commit to it. You can grow more later and other people will follow on and still buy your product. But doing that is an easy way, easy way to kind of, um, I, you know, it's like cuts by you know, death by a thousand cuts to those big brands. It's happening because those big brands now call us and ask us to, you know, to work on their brands because they want to think like a challenger brand because they're getting killed by all these little guys that are starting. And, yeah. and, um, and so I think you do it by micro niching.
0: You know, I, um, I kind of use this as an example from time to time on the, on the podcast here, but uh, speaking of kind of l- legacy brands, many years ago, you think of like, uh, let's say the shaving industry, right? Um, Gillette, Barbasol, kind of these, these mainstay brands. They weren't exciting. They weren't necessarily cool. They were just selling razor, razors and gel and kind of that kind of stuff. And uh, I think it was, was a Dollar Shave Club came along. Into an industry that you could say, oh, that you know, why would you even bother getting into that? And they kind of reimagined everything, and they came out, you know, they had different marketing. They they focus in on kind of being a little edgy. They had the whole subscription box model, and you know, they kind of just came out of the scene. And I believe, I think it was Gillette that actually bought them for like a billion dollars. So and, amazing, you know, just crazy, right? And and as far as what I heard, uh, Dollar Shave Club at the time started off just private labeling some basic razor stuff that you could get off of Alibaba, but they obviously had a real, again, cool marketing and a complete different way to disrupt that industry. And, you know, everything has kind of changed since then, you know, I was actually at, I was at Target not that long ago and I was just walking up and down the aisle. I think I needed some shaving gel or something like that. And, um, you know, I, when I think of like traditionally, like let's say the men's grooming stuff, I just think of boring and, you know, there's not a whole big variety. It's just kind of just basic stuff but when i was going down this these aisles in target they dramatically enhanced and had all these different kind of disrupting brands out there for men's grooming and i was just shocked at how much that industry has exploded over the past few years alone like beard oil stuff and and things like that and to me, that was just kind of like this, you know, being in this industry of e-commerce and things like that. I looked around and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like this didn't exist five years ago, 10 years ago or whatever. And it was just those old stuffy brands, like your Gillettes, your Barbasols or whatever that weren't doing anything exciting. But, you know, people came in and completely disrupted that and made those types of products cool. And, you know, with their marketing and being edgy and fun. And uh, I I just kind of wanted to share that because I think that this is really important. And, you know, they, they kind of just, uh, I, I guess challenge the status quo of that industry. So does does that make sense? Is, is that something yeah? You no, it's well? an
1: amazing time. And and it, what's what's interesting to me is that um, like I mentioned, you know, so now you know without mentioning their names, all these all these big brands do call and, and they're like, hey, you know, we want to we have this thing we're working on, and 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 customers are thinking differently, and buyers. That's the most interesting. Buyers are thinking differently. So obviously. These huge brands, um, they have large amount of monies to throw at, you know, getting the right slotting and everything else as you go kind of omni-channel. But now when you're walking down that aisle, like you said, in Target, it used to be like your options were limited. You're like going to buy something from Unilever or, right, or Procter & Gamble. And um, and now you have these cool brands that usually a lot of them first started um, maybe online only, DTC, Um, they created that really great high level, um, white space at the brand level where they just kind of targeted their, their exact audience and went all in a good example of that is like, I hadn't even heard of this brand until recently dude wipes, but their story is really cool. Yeah. They're funny. Um, (laughs) And it's like, and, and now it was funny. I'm on LinkedIn yesterday and, um, and, and, and I I started following them I actually really liked the, um, I I liked what they've done. And, uh, and they were, they basically had made a, a post on LinkedIn tagging Procter and Gamble. Making fun of them saying, You know, you guys discounted us, and now we are the leader in sales in your own category, like us and yeah. um and that's what's happening. It's happening everywhere and and I see it like we, even with people that we work with that are the smaller brands, maybe they start off on Amazon, get some traction or they you know Shopify or whatever it is, and then some of the some stores like Costco are being just real open and supportive with um kind of these like early earlier stage sort of having, you know, initial success entrepreneurs and giving them the opportunity to, Hey, like we, we took notice of your product. Why don't you come talk to us about like putting it in a trial set in Costco stores.
0: And um, we're seeing a lot of that and that
1: scares the crap out of the big brands.
0: Yeah. It's, it's exciting. I mean, I noticed it as a consumer, as I just mentioned, but you know, even in like the like coffee brands or supplements, stuff that you might say, well, that's just established old crony brands the legacy brands, if you will. But yeah, there's so much opportunity. And I just want to throw that out there, the listeners, if you're like, you're struggling to come up with, let's say the vision or like what, what market you want to go into and things like that. Um, When somebody says something's, you know, too competitive or this or that, as we kind of mentioned here, there's white space, there's opportunities that you have to kind of look into and see, you know, are these companies talking to the right customer or is somebody being ignored or whatever? And you can identify and carve out those unique niches in these well-established markets. And, and it's, it's being done, I think, it just all over the place. And obviously, platforms like Amazon you know, allow somebody with a, an idea, if you will, and small group of people with an idea to, to start a, a cool brand, maybe just a passion brand or something like that, and gain massive amounts of traction and be able to scale that across you know, the entire world of you know, however many countries have access to Amazon. And then as we keep talking or you keep talking, you know, get your products into brick and mortar and really kind of go off. And then I see it over and over again in my space where, you know, you mentioned it where some of these brands, you know, they get, they kind of get on the radar of the legacy brands and they get bought out, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So just really exciting times, the the past handful of years alone. And I think Amazon obviously has a lot to do with that, with them kind of um, having this platform for brand owners and really catering to people that want to launch and and compete and disrupt so I I just I'm just excited about I know you are obviously as well so
1: yeah I'm excited for right now and even looking toward the future like with my own kids I think that um you know, it, there's never been a time, you know, if you went back 20 years ago or even more, um, right, to, to to create a brand, uh, then you would usually, you know, to get into to get in and start selling your things. A lot of times you have to buy, a, you have to you have to go out and partner with a brokerage. You're paying all these fees to try to get in front of a buyer uh, to maybe get your product in there. And you're really having to compete against sliding fees with all the big brands. And it wasn't a level playing field. And now, you know, over the last several years, and with Amazon and other and other technology, and with just the internet in general, you 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 can make bracelets at home for ten dollars and be selling them on Etsy. And like it's it's an amazing time for that. It's it's just um,
0: it's yeah. It's so cool. This stuff excites me. So let, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit and talk about core values uh, for your brand, your vision, your company, or what have you. Um, how should companies look at communicating that to their customers or or potential customers? Like what are the different ways that they should do that? Obviously on packaging or whatever, but can we, can we talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. And, and that, and it goes back, I think um, again, and this is just what what I believe um, kind of for that formula that I found to be very successful is, is, you know, when that when you when it comes to that that brand level white space and you think about you know I'm going to make something and and um, we I see this all the time we're working with a huge Amazon brand right now that has just been done some really special things and taken a ton of uh, purchase intent away from some of these legacy brands that are out there and you look at these legacy brands and the way that they communicate even like the the value of their company it's just very stale and very traditional and boring and that's where I think you can you know, as you're developing like that white space and like the core values of who you want to bring forward in your audience, you communicate that and just be super authentic. And don't try to just be like, here's my product features and benefits, but actually explain them in a way that really, really matters and connects kind of at those core values of a very specific, very specific niche audience. You're not talking to everybody here. And, um, and when you do that, you just see, um, you see your purchase intent just skyrocket. It, it's amazing.
0: Um, and again, would they just communicate, would you just recommend kind of communicating that stuff and obviously on your listing, but the packaging or like how, how else like outside of that, beyond that it should obviously on your website is you just constantly want to keep communicating why you're cool, why you're doing what you're doing, what your values are, what, you know, what's important to you, right? Like I kind of just keep hitting people with that as, as, as often as possible.
1: Yeah. I always like to say like across every touch point, whatever that is, how, if, if you're, you know, if you're hiring like a marketing agency and all that medium that they're creating, like you want to hammer it right there. You really do. That's like one of your big differentiation points against those, those bigger brands that are just boring and stale and just selling their, you know, they're selling their razor. (laughs) That's where, that's where you can be interesting and distinctive through just through every touch point, Amazon listing, packaging, um, you know, website, advertisement, video, you name it.
0: Yeah, and, and just to throw that out to the to the audience listening, this stuff matters a lot. And I've noticed, and I talked about this years ago on my podcast. Once I started to kind of communicate uh, why, let's say, my brand was unique or cool or like what we did, we partner with, uh, you know, this charity, this organization, so on and so forth. That kind of stuff um, that resonates a lot with customers, and they'll start putting that in in their reviews or sending you emails about, hey, you know, I could have bought a lot of different. Uh, some of your competitors here, but I bought yours because I see and I, I'm excited that the fact that you support XYZ or whatever it might be. Um, I, I think that stuff goes you know, a long way. And it I kind of reminds me of, I think I was watching like a TED talk some years ago and some guy was talking about one of the successes of, of Apple um, early on. And, and at the time he was saying, You know, know, years ago, Apple was just making computers and everybody, you know, there's all these different computer manufacturers, but what made Apple successful wasn't necessarily the computer, but it was their marketing. It was that think different uh, marketing campaign that they had and they made computers cool. They made them fashionable and it was kind of going against the grain, if you will, because computers at the time were kind of just boring, stuffy, like the traditional uh, makers of them, like let's say your Hewlett Packard, Gateway, whatever. And Apple came in and just said, okay, we're going to reimagine all this and we're going to make owning a computer fun and cool and fashionable. And and uh, one of the things that stuck out with me that he said was that you know, people don't necessarily just buy the products, they buy into the companies. They buy into what you are doing, what you are about. They kind of want to be part of your mission or supporting just the bigger picture of things and not necessarily just the X's and, X's and O's and features and benefits of the products all the time. So just wanted to kind of throw that out there to the audience. Like, You know, why you do what you do matters. And if you can communicate that to your audience on all those different touch points, that stuff will go along the way, along the way with, uh, you know, customer retention, long-term and things like that. And and them keep coming back from, for more of your product or other products that you launch down the road. So kind of just wanted to throw it out there, Kevin, what are your, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, if I can like add add maybe like one data point to that because we you know as we we do uh, we are data and this is researching consumers is 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 uh, kind of uh, what we do every day. There is one little caveat to that, and I'm seeing I'm seeing it a lot. And so another a good example maybe of like um uh, of like mission based company, uh, Tom shoes. We all know what that is. Um, you know, it's very brilliant how they did it. They leaned in hard. You know, buy one, give one. That they 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 started a change where companies started kind of putting their instead of their maybe product first, it was like mission first. Um, if that if that mm-hmm. makes sense, and and you saw now a lot of companies and and what I consider like their give back offer, um, that's very important to their company culture and it drives them. But uh, what I am seeing and and as we get calls from um, a lot of, I would say more of like the the startup size companies and, and, and it's kind of like a tertiary thought of them. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to donate 5% of, or 2% or whatever it is of all sales to this veterans group or this homeless thing or, or this women's thing or, and, 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 uh, and that's great. That's cool. But um, I think, you know, as you're, as you're looking at, again, that brand level white space, if, if you are really creating something that matters and you're in that and that's important to you it has to be like ingrained in those core values of and it has to be more it has to be more than just we're gonna it's too easy now to just be like we're given two percent of our sales back and so we started um, we started looking at this and doing some consumer studies and you anybody starting a brand Uh, While it's nice to give 2% back or whatever at the end of your checkout process or whatever it is, you're better saving that money and spending it somewhere else because consumers do not care. It is not going to be a retention factor unless you can be more special than just giving. It's just lazy now. People are seeing it as lazy.
0: Okay. Very interesting. That's good information. That's all off kind of recent data that you found out, huh? Yeah. And, it, and
1: it's just, just the money thing. If all you're doing is like, Hey, I'm giving a little bit of money. They see it almost on every transaction. So it's no longer special. Now you can change that and bring it forward and make it a little bit more special and do, and you know, like actually where it takes you more than two clicks on the company's end to help that thing. Um, that's when consumers really do care about it, but they just kind of see now. Like, I don't care if you're driving through, you know, Chick Fil A, or you're buying a product online. It's so easy to just, you know, to just give a tiny bit to some donation, and that's great. But you shouldn't build your culture or your brand around that because it's it's just that they do look at that as like lazy. But if you're, and the extreme end of that is Tom's Shoes, where they're literally going out and giving, you know, kids and families shoes in another country that makes a big impact. That's powerful.
0: Yeah, that's tremendous. And then uh, I I buy uh, Tom's toothpaste, um, and the reason why I've been buying it for the past ten years is because I read the back of their packaging when I bought it once, and it said that they that their employees all volunteer or like they they do way beyond just giving money. They, that's powerful. They, they do some volunteering in in certain things or whatever, like x amount of days or something like that. And that's that literally resonated with me when I read that you know, probably just brushing my teeth, looking at it like, oh, this is cool packaging. And I've been a customer for life and I always recommend it just because of that.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. That's the difference. They're going out of their way to do a little bit more than just like, here's a quick, here's some money. Like we're solving the problem. Here's some money. They're actually taking human time out of their life to solve the problem. And that connects with
0: people so well. Yeah, definitely. Um, good stuff there. So let's talk about packaging design. Um, this is seems to be, Uh, your, your definite area of expertise here, I guess just a real basic question, but what in your opinion makes good packaging design? Now, obviously every product is different. Every market's going to be a little bit different, but in general, what are some tips that maybe you could throw out there that you kind of picked up over the years that you could share with the listeners about packaging? Yeah, so so packaging
1: um, is the exact same formula that went we went through before, just a little bit different. <laughs> um, it's very much a science, and so you know, omni-channel packaging. If somebody's calling me, let's say, and they're like, because this is bread and butter. This is you know, like all my brands have always been in retail. Only you know, in the last six or seven years, have we just started putting things on Amazon. Um, but retail performance is very, very specific. That it is, it's a, it's not an exercise in design. It's a science you can, um, so, so like as a brand on Amazon, um, packaging is a little bit more experiential. Sure. There's certain things like with a thumbnail, if you're going to show packaging that has to work there, um, there's some considerations, but really that listing is important. That listing is your touch point. That's selling your product. But as like, as Costco or target or one of these stores reaches out to you now it's different. Now, when that packaging goes into retail, that is usually, um, the first interaction that a customer ever has with your brand. If they haven't heard of you, you're, you're this new and unique thing uh, competing against the big brands. Um, and now it has to work really, really hard. And you've got about between like two and five seconds for it to work. And um, so it, it's a science. And again, there's um, kind of like five things that you have to get really well. They don't change. Again, um, it's that brand level white space, product level white space, articulating those. You articulate those and now basically as you're going to at this point as you're going to test um, you want to mock up like if, so if you're a guy starting out you can't hire like research firms or hire us or anything like that you're going to mock up a shell. you're going to go you're going to go into target or wherever store you're talking to you're going to take a picture you're going to take a picture of that aisle you're going to take a white box or whatever kind of substrate your product is in and all of those words that are gonna bring forward your features and benefits and you know, that are gonna connect with those core values of your audience. Like we just talked about all those things that you know matter because you've already surveyed it and you found out how you're gonna be different. And you wanna stick your white box up on that shelf and start surveying. And you wanna have a lot of options for that. Um, and, uh, and, and eventually you're gonna find out some of those words again are, are working and there's slightly different metrics that you're looking for in a retail setting. But um, as you're surveying this or testing this, Um, you're looking for, um, you're, you're looking for, um, purchase intent at this point with just your words and no brand. And then, um, you want to start bringing in all of those other things. Like we talked about all the design systems and concepts, but the difference in retail is something that you, um, are looking for is there's a scoring, there's scoring called standout, there's scoring called distinctiveness, there's scoring, um, called um preference and affinity and these are all things that you have to test really really well for and basically it just means that when a there's a as a shopper when you're in target and you're looking at that section you were just talking about that's called a category entry point point. and as you're standing in front of that category entry point your brain your brain is making choices really quickly and it's actually anchoring to memory so most of like packaging design is psychology and so you're maybe, maybe you see old spice there and you have a memory of your of it being on your dad's counter. And your brain is gonna pick that up because it, all of those distinctive assets for old spice, your brain recalls those and puts that old spice in and deodorant, let's say, in your um in your in your category selection choice. And so your brain is really quickly gonna start narrowing down things that you maybe are interested in looking at. And the entire job of packaging at this point. Um, and that's where you have um, distinction stand out in preference like that scoring metric is we have to disrupt that process. If you're a new brand, established brands have different metrics that you have to test for, mostly around like brand equity and making sure that stands out. So you do anchor to a memory in the brain. But now, let's say you've got Old Spice, your brain is there, and you have like one of the something else from maybe that you used before, like Axe or something. So your your brain picks these two out, puts them in this comparative set, and now the entire job of the packaging is to disrupt that and allow something new to come in and create its own anchor. And so that's what you're looking for at this point, really, um, uh, with the packaging. And when you accomplish that, and again, you're, then you start testing for, um, purchase intent in retail. We want to see, um, we want to see, uh, Depending on the environment, but let's say it's a big box store of something like Target again. We want to see around a, like a 16 to 20 percent purchase intent, and when you have that, you're going to be very, very successful in those stores, and you can present that data to buyers, and they're going to be very interested in, in bringing you in. Anything less than that, anything less than that, especially if you're like at less than like a five percent, which is where most brands fail, because they're going to fall within that range. Um, what that means is is you're just going to have to spend a ton of money on activation. And so I like to think of um, good packaging is like an activation force multiplier. It should, if it's done appropriately, you should spend a lot less money trying to convince people to find and buy your product just because as they notice it, it's going to create that anchor. It's going to do its job in persuading
0: them and lead to a purchase. Okay, great. Um, One of the last questions I have here, how can brands take the guesswork out of all this when it comes to all the design options and things like that? So, uh, you obviously kind of hinted and, and highlighted a, had quite a bit of that maybe throughout uh, this podcast here, but just as kind of one of the final questions, how can they, how can they take the guesswork out of all this? Because you did mention a lot of testing, but could you kind of de- maybe just dive into that?
1: Yeah, I think that um, uh, it's, 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 it's looking at it differently. So I think a lot of young companies that are starting out, they're like, Hey, I'm going to call a design agency. And, um, and, and there's a lot of really amazing creative people out there and I, and I'm not putting them down. They do a great job. Great job. We have tons of creating people that work for us, but the part that it's lacking is when you get pitched that idea to bring for your brand, it's all subjective and you can counter that and reduce and get rid of all that risk if you just approach it, consumer and data first and and, and kind of design uh, and style second, doesn't mean your design and style shouldn't be amazing. It should be, but it shouldn't be led by uh, design and creative teams. It should not. And I can guarantee that in the next seven years, any agencies that's putting forward um, successful brands and packaging will change to a data first model because it's possible today. Um, and so if you just approach it like that, and, and don't get convinced by designers and creative directors that something such a great idea. Even if you can't afford to hire a research firm or somebody like us, um, uh, and you just go out and do your own, like, like I said, spend a thousand dollars on survey monkey. Um, that's how you, that's how you're going to do it is you're, is you're going to realize it's not an exercise in design. It's a, it's a science.
0: Okay. That's awesome information. Um, what else before we kind of wrap this up, uh, what else maybe uh, could you throw out there? Any tips, Any um, anything that we maybe missed here, Kevin? No, I think my biggest tip, especially
1: for the, you know, it's different for more established brands, but I know we talked about, you know, some of the audience is maybe launching their first brand, trying to hit their first kind of seven figure, you know, product on Amazon. And and my one tip, and I have this call as our phone rings, you know, for, for new business, I like to actually get on and talk to the young brands just to give them this one piece of advice because so often they've got, they've got a cool product that they wanna go into, but they wanna sell it to everybody. And so, um, and you can do that and your brand's gonna grow and your brand equity is gonna grow and you can, you can, you can, you can expand your audience and have follow on audience. But in the beginning, uh, my strong advice is to be really brave and it kind of is scary and narrow your brand down and niche it down so far that you almost worry that there's not enough audience for you. And when you do that, you're going to be solving a very unique problem for those people. And um, you will be the only option that they want to buy
0: in the entire competitive set. And then from there, you grow out. Yeah, I love that. And uh, that, that, that resonates a lot just because if you're being spoken to specifically as that core customer or uh, uh, avatar, if you will, And it's like, they're, you know, it just jumps out at you, right? Like they're talking directly to me, but like you said, they may not, there may not be a lot of me buying that product, but it'll be a way to kind of get your foot in the door to um, disrupt and compete if you're speaking to a very, very targeted and specific customer with a very specific issue. So that's great advice or actually, you know, a, a question that maybe I should ask before we kind of wrap this up, what, if all the brands that you've worked with, what are kind of some of the things that you see that brands are doing wrong that maybe would set them up for failure or problems, like things to avoid, if you will. Yeah.
1: So on the smaller and the smaller inside, like, and this is something where um, we've never worked with a brand that hasn't like, we haven't reached the goals that we've agreed to, right? Like some kind of sales growth. And so I won't take projects from, from maybe startup brands that are very solidified in their ideas, just because um, they um, especially if they're looking to be generalists and that's what we just talked about a second ago. And so on the smaller side, I see so much failure because they're afraid to go um, just really cater to a, a very, maybe a niched core audience. They're scared of it. Like this, they're just like, they're nervous about doing that. And that, and that hesitation is usually what, what kills their product. Okay. Um, so on a, on a, on the small brand, Um, That's it. On the larger brand, like when you get to that next level of like where private equity is probably interested in you around, you know, seven to $10 million. um, I see a lot of the, um, the failures at that point is you've kind of, you've, you've obviously done something right and you've created something, it's selling well. Um, but how do, you, how do you get to the next area and, uh, of kind of like really solidified brand equity at that point uh, and grow it? And you still have to be willing to operate on the fringes of disruption a little bit. And so I see sometimes companies stall out there because um, they're, they're worried about risk. They're not willing to take risks anymore because it could damage that, you know, they've already gotten, you know, they like hit six, $7 million. It's a good place. Like they want, they want to get to 20. Uh, but for that, you're still going to have to take some, to take some, some risks and some changes in the brand and maybe look at some new audience and things like that. And they're nervous about it and they hesitate. And that's where a competitor
0: overtakes them. Fantastic. Yeah. This is this is awesome information. Um, Kevin, this has been a pleasure. What, what can you just on a final note here, tell us about smash brand, your, Company, uh, how can people find you? Uh, what types of information can you provide them on your website? How do they get a hold of you? That kind of stuff. Yep, Smash
1: Brand, S M A S H B R A N D dot That is um, that is our agency. Um, I honestly don't come on these podcasts to promote it. We're usually booked up uh, full time. Like right now, we're not even looking at taking anything new for months from now, um, and that'll be out of stock in a matter of weeks. But what I, what is interesting to me that we do, that I do look for is um, the right investment opportunities. So um, if there's a brand out there um, maybe selling on Amazon that has had its first, you know, hundred, even a hundred thousand, even million dollars in sales, but they're not sure how to get to the next place. These are the ones that are very interesting for kind of entrepreneurial business deals where we can come in and apply our methods that are going to get them to that next several million dollars and to be able to partake in that success somehow. That's, that's the, um, that's, what's really interesting to me today.
0: Okay. So guys check out smashbrand.com. There's just, there's some articles on there. I would recommend that you, you take a look at from, um uh, just information standpoint, just, just good things to kind of read up on and understand as you're trying to develop and get your brands to the next level to, uh, compete on that fierce Amazon marketplace and stand out from everybody else. So make sure you guys check that out. Kevin, this, this has been a pleasure. I greatly appreciate all this information. It's been awesome. I know the listeners out there uh, got a lot out of this and guys, if uh, I might encourage some of the listeners at home, just to listen through certain parts again, and maybe take some notes and uh, take action. So don't always just consume content. You got to consume and then take some action. If you get an idea that could obviously, uh, help your brand or your business, your, or what have you. So, uh, Kevin, we'll kind of leave it on that. Uh, I, again, I, I thank you so much. This has been, this has been amazing. Thank you, Nick. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, Thanks so much. Okay. That was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the show, Kevin. I greatly appreciate it and make sure you guys check out smashbrand.com. Now I have a couple of very quick takeaways from our conversation that I want to pass along with everybody. So the first key takeaway that I wanted to share has to do with data. Now, Kevin stressed the importance of using data to help you make decisions, to help you position your brand and your business and your products, uh, effectively so that you can maximize success. So one example, that he gave that I wanted to highlight has to do with the MCT oil product that was kind of the the leaking one that with the cap that was leaking. So Kevin said by extracting data or specifically the Amazon reviews from the competition, they determined that this was an issue that customers were having that they could address and fix. And then they could market their bottle as non-leaking, which they knew would be a good selling point to consumers, again, based off that feedback and that data that they extracted. So I thought that that was really important I wanted to definitely emphasize that here again. And to take, step, to take things one step further, Kevin also talked about the importance of testing your ideas. So whenever you're trying to decide on things like new packaging, logos, even font design or anything else related, you should be testing and getting feedback from your targeted audience, okay? So if you already have your own customer list or your audience, then this should be pretty easy to do. Uh, you can use tools that exist out there like SurveyMonkey, as Kevin mentioned, or you can use sites that, uh, that I really love like pickfoo.com uh, to help you test. Now, PickFoo, if you guys aren't familiar, they allow you to split test all sorts of different things like images, brand names, packaging, so on and so forth. So I think it's a really, really valuable tool that you should be using in your arsenal. Um, also, and finally, Kevin recommended that new brand owners consider going like really sub niche or super niche with their products and brands to help them compete and disrupt against those old legacy brands. So, you know, identify that very specific customer that you want to target. You necessarily shouldn't try to be all things to all people. Again, go very, very specific. And I see a lot of new brand owners doing this with great success in competitive spaces like supplements and coffee. And also make sure that you clearly communicate what makes your brand and your products different or unique compared to the competition. Like what's your X factor? What makes you cool? What makes you awesome? And uh, you you have to understand that people buy into what you are doing as a company and as a brand, and it's not necessarily just about the product all the time. So that stuff matters a lot. So what's your edge? What's your X factor? What makes you, again, unique compared to the sea of other competitors out there? Uh, what are your, some some of your key takeaways I would like to know? Let me know in the Facebook group. If you're not yet a member, please get joined up by going to privatelabelershowcom forward slash FB or simply go to Facebook and in the search bar up top, just type in Amazon FBA and then filter by groups and you should see the group name called Amazon FBA. Get joined up. We would love to have you. So that about does it. Uh, We're going to leave it at that. Again, if you guys could please leave me a awesome five-star review on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, Until next time, guys, I'll talk to you later. Bye. This episode of the Private Labeler Show has ended. Please show your support for the podcast by subscribing for more business strategies and tactics to help you build your empire. Also, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.